Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We're so very glad that you are here with us this weekend. Before we jump into our series, I do want to mention this uh, wonderful resource called the Version. It's absolutely free. Download it on your phone or your device. Uh, in addition to all the other resources you'll find there, uh, drop-down menu in the lower right-hand corner under events, uh, search for Arlington FM, and there you will find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Uh, also, when you're in your podcast player, if you'll search for Arlington FM Church, there you will find all of our teaching content. Well, uh, we are in a series called Home Run, and uh, we're wanting to look at how do we go yard in church and uh, the idea is how do we uh, how do we get all uh, out of our church experience that God intends for us uh, you know someone depicted church as rounding the bases they said first base was like uh, uh, coming to know Christ and uh, being connected to his body uh, rounding second base is uh, learning the the rich uh, meaning of fellowship how to connect with others in the body of Christ. As we round third base, uh, we begin to learn how to use our talents and our abilities to contribute to what God is doing both in the church and in the world. And then uh, rounding third and heading toward home is when we actually multiply. Uh, we share the faith that God has given us. We become dispensers of hope wherever God has strategically placed us. You know, if you're a Seattle baseball fan, there are a few of them. Uh, you'll identify with this picture right away. Probably our biggest hero ever on our local sports team, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, going yard, hitting the long ball. And what I love about this picture is uh, he actually looks like he's enjoying his handiwork as much as the fans are. Well, you know, that's a good depiction of uh, really the feeling God wants us to have about being involved in church and uh, with what he is doing in the world through the collection of his people. Unfortunately, as you know, uh, many times that's not the case. Uh, in fact, there's this uh, growing group of people, uh, not only in the U.S., but around the world today, who will express thoughts like this. Uh, I believe in God. In fact, I love Jesus but I don't want anything to do with uh, the organized church. And uh, we're wanting to get beyond uh, that negative uh, experience of, uh, of church life and tap into what it is that Jesus must have had in mind when he spoke these words. Uh, he said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And uh, what exactly was Jesus setting out to do, and what did he have in mind for people who followed him together? Well, uh, we've looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and it gives us a snapshot of the very first church. And, and in that description of the church that Jesus is building, uh, we find that the disciples, the first followers of Christ, uh, were committed. They were dedicated. In fact, those words fall short. They were, uh, there were certain essentials that were part of the air that they breathed as their faith in Christ uh, led to them following him together, which is a description of the church. And what we see in those, uh, that wonderful snapshot is these five essentials on display. Uh, they were devoted to worship, to fellowship, 
to discipleship, to ministry, and to evangelism. And uh, week one, we uh, highlighted worship. Uh, the early followers of Christ worship God together. And then last week, we saw how they were devoted to fellowshipping with one another. They connected with each other in meaningful ways. And uh, today, we simply read the words from Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, in other words, they were devoted to discipleship. They were devoted to learning uh, what it meant to follow Jesus and to grow in him. Now, uh, a couple of disclaimers here. This is not what many people think of as Christian education. This is not Bible memorization. This is not listening to endless messages or pod on podcast or YouTube, as you may be watching this one. Though discipleship may include all of those things, what it meant for this first group of Christ followers is, uh, is this. They were devoted to learning how to follow Jesus and how to do the will of God. Uh, read those words again. Uh, the early followers of Christ, one of the reasons they went yard, they hit the long ball. They were excited about their association with organized church is uh, they were devoted to learning how to follow Jesus and how to do the will of God together. And uh, that is quite different than Christian education. You know, that's quite different than, uh, you know, the, the Bible. You used to have it spread open. You had your little ribbon uh, down the center of uh, the page, and you had your highlighter, and you highlighted passages. Again, uh, that can be a good thing, but this is not the kind of learning that the early followers were dedicated to. Uh, that's not informational learning. It's more transformational training. And there's a great difference between uh, head knowledge and life experience. And uh, these early followers of Christ, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And uh, the first uh, indicator that the kind of uh, education they were involved in was not what we often think of, is who it was who was doing the teaching. Uh, very clearly it says uh, it, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And uh, it's good to reference uh, who these apostles actually were. They were not graduates of seminary. They were not theologians. They were not celebrities. They were not heroes of the faith. They were not even the cream of the crop. Uh, of that day and age. Uh, simply, they were guys who uh, had little faith at times and very big egos. Uh, these were uh, ones who at one time, not very long ago, were referred to as sons of thunder. And they were uh, chief tax collectors and sinners whom Jesus drew out of the crowd and to himself and began to educate them on some very basic training. Uh, how to follow him, and how to do what he was doing in the world. And it's one of the traits of this first church that allowed them to flourish in their lives together is they were committed to learning how to follow Jesus together. Uh, they admitted they didn't know how to do that. You know, have you ever assumed you knew how to do something when you really didn't? That's a dangerous place to be in. You almost listen to instructions half-heartedly. 
It's like, a, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, you're telling me things I already know. And then you get about the task and you realize, I didn't know that all that I thought I knew. Well, that's kind of the experience of the 12 disciples as, as they began their journey of following Jesus and learning what it was about uh, to know him. Uh, time and time again, they were confronted with, they didn't have it all figured out. In fact, uh, some of the occasions uh, that come to my mind, John chapter 4, uh, Jesus encounters a woman at the well. The disciples go into town to get something to eat. And they come back and the scriptures tell us uh, they didn't even notice that Jesus was engaged in conversation with a woman of Samaria. Uh, should have rocked their boat. Uh, they ignored it. Uh, they came with their bagels in hand and said, Master, eat. And his response was, you guys, look, uh, I have food to eat, referring to engaging in the work of God that you don't know anything about. Went over their heads. They were clueless. And uh, many occasions, the disciples had to reach that same conclusion. We don't really know what it is to follow Jesus and what it is that God is calling us to do. Uh, there's one occasion where uh, almost in rapid fashion, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's about to fulfill what God had called him to do. And in rapid succession, you see the disciples have a totally different agenda. Uh, they're arguing about who's the greatest among them. And while Jesus is going to lay down his life on the cross, they're arguing uh, about their own uh, self-aggrandizement. In that context, uh, they said, uh, Master, we came upon some people who were trying to set others free from evil influences, and they were using your name. We told them to cut it out. And Jesus' response was, don't do that. If they're not against us, they're for us. Well, uh, very shortly after that, Jesus sends them into a town of Samaria. He says, make accommodations for us on our way to Jerusalem. Uh, well, they get there, and the Samaritans who believed that uh, God was to be worshipped on a different mountain other than the one in Jerusalem, and said, no, we're not making accommodations for you. We don't care what your agenda is. It's not ours. Uh, so the disciples returned to Jesus and actually had this question. It's recorded in Scripture. They said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and toast them? Kind of like Elijah did in the Old Testament and in this case, the Lord rebuked them. He wanted nothing to do with their agenda, and it became clear that they had no idea how to follow Jesus or what it was that God was calling them to do. And shortly after that, some children come, uh, trying to uh, the parents trying to get their children close enough to Jesus that he might bless them. And the disciples uh, saw the crowds, saw the children, and forbid them to come near the Lord. And again, they had to be corrected. Well, what's the point of all this? They obviously didn't know how to follow Jesus and what God was commanding them to do. They had to learn. And uh, these are the men that the early church was devoted to receiving teaching from. You know, uh, nowhere is this message uh, more concisely uh, given than in Mark's gospel, where uh, the whole gospel seems to reach this one conclusion. 
Who is this man who has come from God? You know, uh, the beginning of Mark's gospel is unlike the other three. He has no accounts of the, the birth narrative. If you only had Mark's gospel, you wouldn't know there was a Christmas story. You would only know there was this man named Jesus Christ. Well, the end of Mark's gospel is different as well. In fact, uh, if you're reading your Bible and you come to Mark chapter 16, uh, at the end of verse 8, you'll read this quote. It says, the earlier manuscripts do not have verses 9 through 20. Uh, in other words, uh, somebody added uh, the end uh, to make Mark's gospel a little cleaner because uh, here is how the oldest manuscripts end Mark's account of the life of Jesus. We're told in uh, Mark 16, verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the empty tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, you know, that's not quite the way we think that the, the good news, according to Mark, should end with bewilderment. But it really does underscore this uh, phrase that comes up again and again throughout the Gospel of Mark. Who is this man? Even the demons are subject to him. Who is this man who does all things well? Who is this man who even the wind and the waves obey him? And so we're left with this, this conclusion uh, that much of what following Jesus begins with is unlearning what we think we know, uh, coming to a position of humility, of openness, of saying, Lord, there's a lot I need to learn and there's a lot I need to unlearn. And that seemed to be one of the hallmarks of the first church. It's what allowed them to go yard in their uh, experience of Christ together. And they worshiped God together. They fellowshiped together. And they were devoted to learning, to committed to uh, the teachings of these uh, humble apostles who had to unlearn what they thought they knew and learn how to follow and live for Christ. Uh, I love these words from the prophet Isaiah as he thinks about uh, the nation of Israel uh, needing to come uh, to that same humility and that same hunger and appetite to learn from God. Uh, he writes in chapter 55 of his pro prophetic word, uh, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, call out to him. While God is near, uh, let the wicked, that would be all of us, forsake their ways. And the unrighteous, that would also be all of us. Let them forsake their thoughts. Hear that again. Uh, let those who are twisted, let those who've experienced darkness, let those who've drifted away from God, uh, turn away from their own thoughts. Let them turn to God, to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. And now, uh, these incredible truths about God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Uh, I'd like you to read that with me if you're uh, following along in this message. Here we go on three, one, two, three. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, neither are your ways my ways, uh, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Well, what, what's the point that God's making is uh, if we want to experience his best, if we want to enter into his great purposes, which have become freely available through the finished work of Christ, uh, one of the, the keys uh, that unlocks the door into God's fullness is we, we acknowledge that we have to unlearn what we thought we knew. We have to uh, surrender our own thinking and be uh, open to our minds being transformed so that we can be renewed in our lives. And uh, these first disciples, uh, they worshiped together, they fellowshiped with one another, and they devoted themselves to learning from the apostles how to follow Jesus and how to do the will of God. Uh, see, uh, these 12, they had to learn what it meant uh, to deny themselves and live for others. They had to learn how to commune with God. They had to learn how to turn the extra cheek and go the extra mile. They had to learn how to serve the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, and they did it by coming to the end of themselves and witnessing uh, through the person of Jesus Christ what the will of God actually looked like when it was lived out. You know, uh, this first church, uh, they themselves uh, had to face their own profound failures in order to enter in uh, to the success that God had for them. Uh, you know, when you look at Acts chapter 2, it describes uh, this group of first uh, disciples who uh, were in Jerusalem for the Passover. They were a part of the crowd that uh, called for the freedom of Barabbas. They wanted to see uh, Jesus go to the cross because he was claiming to be the Son of God, and they knew that was a ridiculous claim. And uh, as Peter is making that first uh, gospel message, uh, declaring to the crowds that God had raised Jesus from the dead, uh, he said, this Jesus whom you crucified God has raised, uh, hear these words directly from the mouth of Peter, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they faced what they had done. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And you want to translate that? into uh, real language, they were saying, uh, we, we screwed up, we blew it. How do we, re how do we change from uh, what we have done to what we could become? You know, that's a great disposition. And it's what allowed them to enter uh, into the faith of Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's what uh, opened them up to receive the same gift of the Spirit that came upon the 12 and the 120 in the upper room. And that lean, that humility that says, we thought we were serving God, and when instead we were opposing his plan to save the world, that disposition didn't stop when they became believers. It became a part of the early church, not trusting in their own thoughts, not leaning on their own understanding, but being learners lifelong learners, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, 
uh, learning from him and each other what it meant uh, to be the, the disciples of Christ and to accomplish the will of God in the world. Uh, listen to how Peter uh, now uh, writes in his letter several decades later to many of these same believers now scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He, he writes in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Therefore, uh, rid yourself of all uh, kind of the, the dark side, all malice and all deceit, uh, all play acting and phoniness, all envy of others whose uh, lives may look more successful than yours, all slander of those that you may not agree with. Uh, rid yourself of all these kinds of things that hold you back and like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. That's a that's called a healthy appetite. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And see, uh, Peter is calling for that same uh, healthy disposition. As says, God, uh, we, we understand uh, through the coming of Christ, uh, through him going uh, the extra mile, going to the cross, laying down his pure and perfect life for us. We understand that uh, your thoughts are not ours. Your ways are not ours. And we need to learn. And so we crave this teaching. We crave this understanding that can only come from you. And uh, I want to close with prayer. And uh, look at, at the lean of this prayer the desire of Paul to see uh, his, his friends uh, open up to this same appetite uh, to receive from God, to be taught by God how to follow Jesus and what God really wants in accomplishing his will. Here's what he says, uh, Colossians 1 verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, for this reason, uh, we lift our voices together in prayer and ask that you would indeed uh, give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, uh, God, that you would pry open uh, maybe minds that have become closed uh, to your instruction, uh, hearts that have become rigid and uh, resistant uh, to your will. And we thank you, Lord, for the witness of the early church, a church that's going yard, hitting the long ball, and that one of those essential traits, God, is they wanted to learn, they wanted to be taught, they realized how much they needed to know that they didn't yet know. And uh, they opened up to you. And we thank you, Lord, for your disposition, your willingness to pardon, your willingness to come to us, meet us at our point of humility, teach us what we need to know so that we can live a life that is worthy of you and bear fruit in every good work. Lord, thank you uh, for your work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.